Hello, Bulls fans. Welcome to Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the show. My name is Mark, and as always, I'm joined by my pal, Will Gottlieb. Will, happy holidays. How are you, mate? I'm good. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Uh, happy, I guess it's like a month removed from Hanukkah, but whatever <laughs> holiday you celebrate, I uh, hope it was happy and healthy and got to spend some time with family. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that was certainly the case to met for me. See uh, Red Ted's first uh, Christmas. So that was exciting. Obviously, we extend those thoughts as well to the listeners, everyone tuning in. Hopefully, everyone is well and safe and uh, enjoying their Bulls basketball. The Bulls are back, and I know that's been a theme that everyone's been saying throughout this season, but they are literally back because it felt like a couple of weeks there, Will, that we didn't really have many Bulls games to actually talk about. I think this is the funny thing, actually. The last time we did a podcast, I think it was with Steph and No, which was a couple of weeks ago, when we were pondering the idea about whether it was time for the Bulls to maybe consider trading uh, Nikola Vucevic, not to, not to suggest that we wanted him gone, but maybe that, that we had to at least start thinking about it. And here we are two weeks later and, and Vuce has literally, uh, you know, come out and played four brilliant games to the point where StatMuse tonight will had this had this tweet out after this get the Hawks game that we just got done watching. So Vuce tonight had 24 points, 17 rebounds, six assists, four blocks, four three-point makes. No player in NBA history has ever had or exceeded that stat line. So, <laughs> I mean, that's that's how fast things can change in the NBA. That's how fast things can change for uh, the Bulls and Vooch. So it's it's funny what time can do. And I think it's kind of a, a reminder. And I know, uh, well, we can probably get into it a little bit later here. But like a lot of the uh, the trade talk and even just like the reaction to how guys are playing or if Vooch is good or not. Like it's very reactionary Mm -hmm. and in response to like whether or not the ball went in. And I would love to spend some time talking about Vooch because even aside from like those three made threes at the end of the game, one of which he like banked in uh, at the end of the shot clock, but he was just fantastic as a playmaker. I thought he was really good defensively stepping up uh, to cut off ball screens and uh, had a couple of uh, block shots at the rim. Um, He's just been like all over the place. And it's really nice to see uh, just, I think what the, what the bulls offense can look like with him and obviously Damar and Zach playing as well as I think they can, because tonight really felt like probably the best that we've seen all three of them play in the same game. Right. I mean, that was, that was amazing. A hundred percent. So, I mean, this is, I mean, there have been games earlier in the season where all three have shown up and had big games, but I guess it's been fleeting given that, you know, Vooch has gone through his struggles this season and he's only had maybe a handful of games that are comparable to the one that he had tonight. But, you know, combined the Bulls' big three, Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic, 89 points, 26 rebounds, 25 assists against the Atlanta Hawks. So all three turned up, all three did their thing. But we kind of know at this point what we're going to get from Demar and Zach, and that's basically both guys trading, trading baskets, trading possessions where they, or trading games really, where they, they, you know, one of them takes over. But irrespective of the game, it just feels like you're going to get 25 or 30 points from both of them, and it's kind of been Vooch in the background, you know, wondering when he was going to show up and, and join these guys. But over the last four games, he's been slowly building to the point where we got this game against the Hawks, where he was just 
basically dominant on both sides of the ball. And, uh, you know, it was nice to see him score some points, 24 points, had some some key baskets in that fourth quarter period. But I think, and as you noted there, like the most important thing from, from Vooch tonight, I thought was his, was his defense. I thought he's fantastic defensively against the Hawks. And that was really critical because early in that first quarter, it kind of felt like Trey was just, uh, you know, having his way with the Bulls. And so much of that had to do with uh, the ineffective de- de- defense from Kobe White on Co- uh, on Trey Young in early in that fourth quarter to the point where it was kind of leaving Vooch on an island to guard Trey as well as Clint Capella, who was rolling hard to the rim. But the Bulls made an adjustment. They they put Io onto Trey Young and, and Javante Green got some 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 um, some minutes on Trey as well. But irrespective of that, I thought you know Vooch was fantastic in the drop defense tonight, doing doing all these little things. Uh, whether it was by, you know his positioning, whether it was his hands, he had four blocks tonight. Like I mean, he was he was amazing. I'm really we're recording this like pretty much right after the game, mm. and so I'm really uh, going to be checking Twitter here to see what. Uh, what Fleming has to say about Io's performance because I agree. I mean, he has been the the last couple games has been awesome, but uh, just this game, he looks so poised. His defense has been awesome. His length, especially on smaller guards is really bothersome. And I think like if you're a young player like that, who, you know, has, has a skill set um, to, to do a lot of this stuff, like, to just play in your lane is really valuable second round draft pick. Right. But um, I just think he's like chipping in and all these ways that like really fit a role and he, and he plays it really well. It's like nothing, the game isn't moving too fast for him. Um, he's making good decisions. Like he's shooting pretty well, but yeah, his defense was awesome. And um, I think especially in conjunction with Vooch, like we were talking about uh, this team, I think could be susceptible to, that kind of uh, spread pick and roll, like Capella dive to the rim and catch lobs um, offense that they faced against the Hawks and against like any team. Um, but I thought those two, Vooch really stepping up and cutting off the ball handler and and Io staying over screens and connected to Trey Young really changed the complexion of that game. And um, I think it really like, especially without Lonzo and Caruso who have been out the last couple games, um, there's, I was a little nervous about like how the bulls would look at the point of attack on defense, but they really, really made, uh, this game, like, you know, competitive on that end. And, um, I just think that's like a really good thing to see when it, it, it kind of seems like the bulls offense or the bulls defense was really propped up by Crusoe and Lonzo, but to see the rest of the guys picking it up and, and playing pretty well, I mean, they gave up 118, but I thought they looked pretty well defensively. Yeah, look, I mean, the Bulls could have easily lost this game. I mean, uh, Trey did his thing. He had 12 points, five assists in the first quarter, finished with 29 and nine. So I think he went three of 15 from quarters two to four and uh, didn't necessarily have a, a ton of playmaking presence there after the first quarter. But nonetheless, like this still could have been a loss for the Bulls if for whatever reason, it, or even with, you know, Vooch, uh, Levine and DeRozan going off because to your point, like their defense probably wasn't good enough. Um, at least it certainly wasn't good enough in the first quarter. Like they, they were just allowing the Hawks to get to, to anywhere. And part of that was just unsustainable, crazy hot shooting from Cam Reddish, who had 33 points, eight, eight uh, three-point make. So some of that was, you know, some hot shooting, some some variance will, will come at, uh, at play hopefully on Wednesday night when the Bulls and Hawks play again later on in the week. But nonetheless, the Bulls still could have lost this game, which is the, I guess the ironic thing we can, we, we can focus on the big three and their their collective games, but to your point, like I, I and I completely agree. Io and Javante Green changed or helped change this game where they sort of took 
Trey Young out of this. And when you take Trey out of it and he's the hub of their offense, and particularly for an undermanned Hawks team who had a lot of guys out in uh, health and safety protocols, it allowed the Bulls to sort of get by without Lonzo and Caruso, who, yeah, were sorely missed in this game. And and, and when I did see, you know, prior to the game that, that Trey was out of health and safety protocols and was activated for this game, I was a little bit nervous just due to the fact that I thought they would be very susceptible to to try, you know, torching them even more so when we saw the news that the Kobe White was starting uh, for the Bulls and got that instant matchup on Trey in the first half. Like that was problematic as well. And we saw that in the first quarter. But um, I guess Chris Fleming, who has been coaching the Bulls in place of Billy Donovan, who who himself is in health and safety protocols, he, he went to Kobe early on Trey, but he made that adjustment, in, you know, basically from the in, from the second half onward. And it was a good adjustment because guys like Io and Javante were really influential, even if the numbers don't necessarily read as much from a from a box score standpoint. I think we should also touch briefly on Kobe, who started yep. the game, picked up a couple of fouls, as you mentioned, guarding Trey Young, uh, which like I could have told you, anybody could have told you that yeah. was going to be a disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, but to your point, uh, Fleming quickly moved away from that. Maybe it was the foul trouble. Maybe it was just like obviously not working. Um, but he, and I tweeted this out, like he's just been so bad um, to the point where it's like, I mean, I've never been like the biggest Kobe fan in the world, mm. but he's not this bad. Like he's shooting 35% from the field on the year, 25% on threes. He's not this bad. And I, I think he's got moments where he'll get super hot and moments where he's pretty cold. And it was really nice to see in the second half I mean, he just looked like a different player where he came out with confidence and was like taking, you know, tough shots and making them um, for like, I think probably the second time this year, like he's had maybe one other good game. So I think if he, again, it just like when everybody's healthy and when everybody like fits into their roles, like if Kobe can just come in and get hot and play 20, 25 minutes and make, you know, three or four threes, that's going to be huge in the playoffs. Um, to have kind of a scoring release valve when Damar or Zach are either off the floor or not shooting super well. Um, and it also probably like boosts up his trade value. But I just wanted to give Kobe some props there because he had been really bad, but finally came out and, and had a really nice second half, had a couple of steals, um, shot the ball well. So really good to see him start to find his form yeah and look the idealized version of kobe is the guy we saw against the the rockets a couple games back where he had 24 uh, 24 points off the bench five rebounds and, and to your point hit five threes off the bench so that's the role for kobe and ultimately he can be successful in this role on this team this season if, if that is certainly the case that he um you know that all is the role that he have going forward but at, at the same time like whilst i was kind of annoyed at kobe at the level of defense that he was sort of showing or playing against Trey at the same time I wasn't because like and you just noted it there like we all knew or expected that you know he wasn't going to succeed against Trey Young because we know Kobe's not a very good man-to-man defender we know the struggles he had last season sort of being that point of attack defender so I, I guess at some point like for me it becomes less about the player and more about like the positions that they're putting to succeed and like I just don't understand why you would start Kobe on Trey like that doesn't make sense you're setting him up to fail you're setting up the team to fail so as much as you know it's on Kobe to be better and those sorts of things at the same time like the Bulls just should be the Bulls should know their personnel a little bit better at least in this instance and, and not just not start Kobe on Trey Young if you, you're if you're intending to start him uh, uh, to start the game then then put him on Bogdan Bogdanovich or something like that and have Javante start on Trey Young from the 
jump or have Zach guard Trey from the jump. Or if that's not the case, then bring Kobe off the bench and start Io. So I get people's frustration with Kobe. I totally do. And I would be lying if I didn't have similar thoughts during the games. But at the same time, like, some of this is on coaching, and I don't want to get too critical of Chris Fleming because it's his, you know, his first or second game coaching the team, and um, you know, it's it's easy to to focus in on locking in on these specific things, but this to me seemed like an obvious one that that he got wrong, I guess. But um, he changed it in the second half, and you know, to your point earlier, you know, more more minutes for Io and, and Javante on him, and they got Kobe off ball, and and look, in second half, Kobe was really good. He, I think he had thirteen points, hit that clutch three at the end, which pretty much sealed it. So. It's funny what can happen when you put players in their correct role in the correct positions and, um, you know, you don't ask too much of them. And that's why we saw a better second half from Kobe. Absolutely. And I think it, it maybe we can just talk about this briefly, but like it makes me I also don't like want to put the, the cart ahead of the horse here. But the Bulls are second in the East right now, 21 and 10, I believe. Um, so like they are in a good position to like make the playoffs and get a, a high seed here. But just thinking about like what the rotations will look like and the depth. I've been having this conversation with my brother a lot recently, just about like, you know, when Pat Williams went down, I think that really changed up like what the Bulls were going to look like. Obviously, just like having that sort of like bigger defensive wing who can guard or at least attempt to guard your Giannis and Katie and LeBrons of the world. Um, but also it just like pushes everybody else down a notch on the depth chart. And I'm curious, like what you think about what the Bulls rotation will be, because we've seen a lot of these guys step in, obviously, like they just signed Alfonso McKinney to a a real contract. Um, Io has looked awesome, as we talked about. Kobe has been mostly missed, but sometimes hit. Um, I guess, like, what is the Bulls uh, depth to you looking like? Can they put together like a eight man rotation or do you think they like we'll need to figure that out the biomarket or the deadline yeah i think they've got like they've clearly got a solid six-man rotation or at least you know they're starting five when you have or they're closing five let's say when you have caruso out there with you know the the four guys lonzo levine derozan and vooch like that's as good as it gets i think from a pure net production point of view like that that five-man unit is as good as it possibly gets javante is going to do javante things he's worthy of 15 minutes i think Derek jones jr has shown enough and then you've got Io sort of doing some stuff there where maybe you can toggle between Io and Kobe depending on matchups, depending on which one of those guys has it. Now, uh, you know, it's probably been more Io than Kobe this season, but hopefully they can find another one or two guys to sort of bob up and, and help from that standpoint and, and shore up that rotation. I, I really like the addition of McKinney who, you know, in his, you know, 20 odd minutes that he's played in the couple games that he's played he's done some things that you would expect from a three and d guy so you see he shot the three ball pretty well he's done some things defensively not to not to suggest he's going to you know guard or stop anyone defensively but he's got his hands in in in, in the right spots he's hustled hard done those sorts of things so i've liked what i've seen from from mckinney in, in that standpoint as well as like maybe a third a third unit guy but I guess if they could just shore up that place, whether you've currently got Troy Brown Jr. getting minutes or McKinney getting minutes or sometimes Kobe getting minutes, when you don't really know who which one of those guys is going to give you a good a good twenty minute performance, like if you can, if you can get someone real there, and you know we've floated ideas on this show before, whether it's Harrison Barnes, uh, Jeremy Grant, OG Ananobi, insert whatever player you want into into that conversation. Like I still th- I still think they need to find that one 
that one extra piece, I guess, to really solidify that rotation and more so than solidify the rotation, but just maybe solidify or maximize what the ceiling of this squad can be. Because to me, Will, I think this team has kind of stumbled into having you know, two top 20 players, two top 25 players, if you want to be very conservative about it. I don't know if the Bulls thought that would be the case entering the season, but Zach Levine has been every part of that. He's continued to grow, but DeMar DeRozan in his age 32 season, you know, where he was probably previously a top 40, top 45 player, there may be better players in the NBA than DeMar DeRozan, but in terms of impact this season, there's probably not been, there probably hasn't been 10 or 15 guys that have been more impactful for their team this season. So I don't know, like as much as, as, as much as the Bulls need to find an additional guy, whether it's a starter or a, or a bench guy, like they, they need to do that to honor and respect what the seasons that DeRozan and Levine are having because they've fallen, and I say fallen, but maybe they've stumbled their way in or maybe they planned it. I don't know who, the, I don't I, I, Personally, I don't think I, I didn't foresee DeRozan having this level of impact this season in, in his age 32 season. But given that's occurring, I think this is why why me, why you, or why a lot of pe- people have been pushing the go all in theory. And, and whether that's all in means shoring up that uh, second unit or shoring up the rotation, as you noted, whatever it may be, I think I think just what we're seeing from Levine and, and DeRozan, he, again, in this Hawks game, these two guys had 65 points between them. You have to honor and respect what they're doing on the court and you have to maximize the, the seasons that they are giving you right now. So I think the Bulls have the ability to do so, but I, I just want to see them do it. These two have been awesome. And I think you may not have been able to uh, foresee an age 32 DeMar DeRozan having like a top five MVP candidate season. Uh, but obviously like light years, Karnaschovas was, <laughs> uh, was able to figure that one out. Uh, but you're totally right. And this is what we talked about in our last show a few weeks ago is like, the Bulls have a window right now. I didn't think they would be this good. I don't think really anybody did. Um, but like at the rate that guys are going down with COVID, um, injuries can happen at any time. Like the Nets are having a situation with one of their players and like he may not be able to play in home games uh, in the playoffs. Like LeBron is really good, but the Lakers are really bad. Like there, there is a window right here. And, you know, it makes you wonder, like, if they should go all in, um, like, I think AK has done a pretty good job to, like, to go as in as he can without, like, pushing all of the chips in. Like, he still has Patrick Williams. He still has that Blazers first. He still has Kobe White for whatever value he could return. Um, I think they do have some some pieces here, and I, I wouldn't want to get too desperate, but um, I think what's been exciting about the Karnashovas experience so far is that like even if it even if he has to overpay to get stuff done he gets stuff done and I think the way that Damar and Zach are playing to your point I mean both top 20 caliber seasons right now um, you have to respect what they're doing and put a team around them that can go and you know have a deep playoff run and I think back to the depth question a lot of that changes with with Patrick Williams, where yeah. now like maybe Caruso is that guy mm. that comes in and like has a great playoff run. Because I think there's really two ways that it works. One is like you bring in a like Jay Crowder or PJ Tucker type of guy who like can be kind of nasty and make some big shots and defend bigger guys in the playoffs. Um, but there's like a reason why every single team in the league wants those guys and nobody has them mm. is that they're really rare. And then, so if you get one, great. If not, somebody has to step up. And whether it's like a young guy like Io 
or like Kobe who just like gets super hot, maybe like a Tyler hero type of run in the bubble. Like they're going to need somebody like that to step up. And and maybe it is somebody who's on the roster right now. Um, But I think looking at the composition of the guys on the team right now, there's probably a move to be made. And again, to your point, like it's, it's warranted at this point. I think they, they should make a move, some sort of move to whether it's like to get that seventh man or sixth man that like shores up the depth and make sure that you get like a six, seven, eight man rotation in the playoffs. I think this is like the time to to make that move. Yeah. Uh, and look, uh, as much as it was great seeing, you know, DeRozan, Vooch and Levine connect together and so much of the offense in the final quarter there for the Bulls, like all three of those guys were connected in the same possession, if you will. Like you had uh, Levine and, and DeRozan taking turns, even in the single, you know, in a single offensive possessions, those guys were taking turns in terms of creating stuff on the bounce and Vooch was involved in all of them, you know, as, at, at a minimum as a, from a screening point of view. Uh, a lot of it was, uh, he was involved from a playmaking point of view. So like those three are funneling so much of the offense at the moment. But, you know, as we were seeing them in action today, I was just thinking like, in place of Javante, like, could you have an, a Harrison Barnes, for example, who, if things, whatever reason, break down in those initial couple of possessions or when they send doubles to a Levine or DeRozan um, pick and roll with Vooch and you have someone like Harrison Barnes floating in the corner in, in place of Javante Green, like, that is huge. That is huge. And I don't, I don't know if people fully understand the context of that because maybe they just don't appreciate Harrison Barnes or maybe they just don't really see much of an upgrade, particularly if you have to trade someone like Patrick Williams for him. But if, if you can get in a guy that can consistently knock down 40% from your three uh, from the three-point line in place of someone like Javonte, who you can send back to the bench as a 15-minute guy who can stay in the rotation but is more of a, a bit piece rather than your closing power forward, as an example. Who falls into a role that makes sense for Javonte. Exactly. He's not playing exactly. 25 minutes as a starter. Exactly. And like at the moment, like the Bulls are 21 and 10. They're one game out of first in the East. Like This is the time. This is the time. And, and maybe I wouldn't be harping on about this if for whatever reason we weren't getting this level of a DeMar season to the point where you do now have two top 20 players. If, if DeMar was just a guy giving you 25 and 5 who was still very good, maybe still could have made an all-star game or at least, you know, been on the precipice of making an all-star game. Or even if he didn't, like it would still be a very good player. That would obviously change this bull season and maybe instead of being 21 and 10, you're, you know, you're 16 and or 16 and whatever, you know, 16 and, and I've come to the math right now, but 16 and 15, <laughs> something like that. Like you're closer to a 500 team rather than a 21 and 10 team who's, who's one game out of, you know, first place in the East. So like if DeMar was a little bit worse, then maybe my opinion would be of, of this team and, and their ability to go in uh, all in for the, this squad right now would be a little bit different. But because you are getting this level of play from both Zach and and DeMar, who have instantaneously become one of the best two-man combinations in the NBA. I think you have to go for it. And if you can send back someone like Javante to the bench to have an impact in the way like Io had tonight, and the way Io sort of emerged off the bench, and you can just uh, have those guys sort of play those smaller, uh, more limited roles, then it just makes everything just so more just so more seamless, I guess. So um, the team, despite all the, the nonsense that they've had to deal with over the last month, let's call it, with health and safety protocols, they're 8-2 and two over the last 10. This team is for real. Now as the rest of the league is starting to deal with health and safety protocols as well, there's, I would argue there's even more of an opportunity now to, to go all in because who the hell knows how this is going to impact other teams and when it's going to impact other teams. So, And I think that's that's really been what has obviously like 
we don't need to talk about Garpax at all here, but like <laughs> since uh <laughs> don't want to bring the conversation uh tenor down that deep, but uh like Karnashovas has just like put them in a position and even with like the Vooch trade last year, like he went out and got a guy and like said, All right, now you gotta execute. Now you like the players are there, you've got two all stars, like go make the the play in tournament, go make the playoffs. And didn't work, but like he put them in that position. I think it's the same thing with Damar. He goes and gets a guy, puts them in a position where maybe things don't go as well as they would have hoped, like they did last year. Maybe they go even better, like things are going this year. And I think the way that Damar, especially, who's obviously like playing out of his mind, has like rubbed off on the rest of the guys. I think in particular Zach and like how much better Zach has looked, not only playing off of Damar, but like what he's learned from Demar playing mm. with Demar. Yeah. Um, Rob Schaefer, I'm sure all you guys have seen this quote by now. It really went around, but I just think it was such a great example of what Zach is taking away from Demar and how he's improving and learning and adding to his game. Um, but after the Pacer game, Zach said, I don't know if he said this directly to Rob or if it was like in a larger media thing, but regardless, Rob tweeted this out. So great, great uh, work on his part. But uh, Zach said, he's just so calm. Uh, I've always been somebody, especially with my past experiences, to where it's like, okay, I got to do it now and I got to do everything. And it's just real. You know, if we're down 10, I want to try to get back in it right away. He is so calm. It doesn't matter if he has 25 going into the fourth or if he has four. He takes that fourth quarter as a totally different game. It's something to learn from. And I think I've picked up on a little bit. Like, I mean, it's just, it's so true. Like, this is, this is all of the stuff that we've, like, had friction with with Zach over the years. It's like he tries to do it all. He tries to do too much. He tries to go hero mode. He doesn't pass. He makes bad decisions. And like just putting Damar in there obviously gives them another outlet. But I just the way that Zach has played this year, I just I don't think we've really talked enough about it because he has been overshadowed by Damar mm-hmm. to a certain extent. Yeah. But like 30 points, nine assists, two turnovers tonight. I mean, 11 for 21 from the field, five or eight on threes. He's just been so good. And the pressure is off of him to do everything. And it just, to like what we were talking about before, it just slots him into a position where he can be the best version of himself. Same as Io. What they need to do with Kobe, what is like, I think, starting to work for Vooch, um, is just like getting guys in the right position to succeed. And when they're whole, I mean, this team, this team can compete. I think, I think they're really good. There was a position tonight and maybe to sort of connect the, the point you're making here where, I mean, Zach was amazing tonight against the Hawks and he was, I don't know what it is about playing in Atlanta, but he just goes off for whatever reason. But there was a possession late in the third quarter, maybe, you know, 40 odd seconds left in the quarter. Zach had been doing his thing and naturally with time running down, trying to take away a two for one opportunity, the Hawks sent two to Zach Levine, who you you would imagine was going to take the shot at that point, given how on fire he was. So the Hawks do that. They, They send a double to Zach and... You know, Zach rightly gives up the ball and he sends the ball to DeMar DeRozan to the opposite opposite, uh, end of the court, the opposite wing. And at that point, I mean, I was thinking like there there was just no opportunity to do this last season whereby teams were doubling Zach last time, last last season. Either he was trying to create against two guys or he was forcing the issue or maybe he was passing it and he didn't necessarily have a player capable to finish off the play that he made. And, um, and at that point, the offense stalls and the ball probably ends up going back to Zach and he has to create something at the end of the shot clock. But in this situation, the Hawks send two to Zach. 
They try to get the ball out of their hands, out of his hands rather. He wisely passes the ball because he's not going to try to, you know, take two off the bounce because he actually has teammates around him now that can do some stuff. And at that point, the ball goes to DeRozan who just gets to his trademark spots, uh, creates some some separation with just, you know, absolute mastery uh, footwork that he does have and just created two points from nothing. So like to your point around like having players like DeMar around Zach Levine, we kind of forget that Zach is still learning, that he's still developing. And to the quote that you read out from from DeMar via Rob Schaefer, like Zach is learning so much from DeMar. And I've made this parallel before between the, the Bulls and Suns before, but like, I don't know if we're getting this level of play from DeAndre Ayton if you don't bring in a Chris Paul. I don't know if you're getting this level of play from a Devin Booker if you don't bring in a Chris Paul. Not to say that those guys weren't going to eventually be good players or weren't good players beforehand, but they just having them be around the level of professionals like a Chris Paul or DeMar DeRozan, it just helps these guys continue to learn. And we kind of forget that Zach is still learning because he's been in the league six or seven years. But I mean, the dude is only 26 and he's still taking things away from guys like DeRozan. So it is super important. And uh, it was just a key play for me in this Hawks game because it just shows the parallels of this season versus years prior where Zach was forced to do everything. And so many people got it wrong in terms of miscasting him as a, you know, a ball hog or someone unwilling to sacrifice or unwilling to pass. But we saw it tonight, nine assists, despite having 30-odd points. Like, if you give, if you put good players around him, he's going to be more than happy to share the ball, as he has been all freaking season. And I think what makes – just to, to circle back to the point about the Suns, like, I think what makes them work is, like, the level of respect that not only, like, everybody has for Chris Paul, but that Chris Paul has for Devin Booker and, like – he knows he can just say like, go, go get a bucket. Like they, I think they have this, I was watching some like interview, maybe it was like during the Christmas day game between the Lakers, but he was just talking about how much he respects Booker's game and like what he can do and how good he thinks he is as a player and and how he will continue to be. And I think we're seeing that same deal with Damar and Zach. Like, you know, there was the other quote, I don't have it in front of me here, but like Damar basically said like, Zach's got it going against Pacers. Like just, let's let's not mess with what's working yeah let's let's feed zach i don't need to be the guy that closes this out and and you mentioned the double teams like you just can't you can't double one because the other one's going to be open uh and you can't double both them at the same time so i just think they they have the recipe and there are definitely questions um like this zone situation is still uh something that i think they need to figure out they're getting zoned more than um, everybody except for, I believe, uh, one team, the Timberwolves, uh, they're getting, they're facing zone a ton. They're I think 26th against the zone. So that is going to be something that coaches pull out. And we saw the Pacers just went to it on the first possession. The Hawks went to it a bunch tonight. Uh, they got to figure out how to, how to break that down. But when you have these two, like unlimited scores, you know, it's just anything is kind of possible. And then you mix Vooch playing in at this level, um, you know, you need somebody, this is like also just last, last finals and, and playoffs was wild to me watching like Cameron Payne and Bobby Portis, like light it up, but they need, they need like IO to do that. If they're going to, if they're going to have one of these runs. And I think we're seeing the flashes right now that make me feel confident about that. 
Yeah, I completely agree. And and look, and that's why Vooch doing what he's doing is encouraging because if we talk about zone busters, like this is a, Vooch is a perfect zone buster, whether it's his jump shooting from the top, whether it's his, and this is probably more important, like his playmaking from, from the, uh, the elbows, like that is how you bust a zone. But I guess, uh, you know, it's been tough to do that this season because Vooch hasn't necessarily been playing that well. Um, up to the last four games, and the Bulls just don't have a ton of shooting out of, uh, you know, out of uh, or beyond Zach and 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 Vooch, particularly with Lonzo out at the moment. So, you need those things in, in terms of busting the zone. I think they have the ability to uh, to toop be, but uh, you know, put out lineups that do bust zones. But at the same time, you guys just need to make shots, and guys need to be respectful, I suppose, or the the or make opposing defenses try to be respectful of the fact that maybe he can't get to his own but maybe Matt Thomas is the zone busted we all needed um, Will he was actually kind of decent against the Hawks I, I wasn't expecting him really to play at all but uh, he's out of COVID health and safety protocol so uh, glad that he's healthy but um, he actually played alright tonight yeah I think uh, so the Bulls cut Alizé Johnson in order to make room to sign yeah um, McKinney Alf- Alfonso McKinney and I think there are some people that were uh, calling for Matt Thomas's head <laughs> instead of Alize, and he probably saw the tweets because yeah, he he hit three threes in a row. Uh, you know, he's I think shooting shooting always wins in the NBA, and if you have guys like that who can who can come in and knock down a few threes in limited minutes, like that that could be huge. Um, so I, I get it, but yeah, beyond this game, he hasn't really looked like a major contributor. But if he can continue to do this, I'll be I'll be very happy with that. Yeah, so let me read you the next, what is it, five, six games that the Bulls have got coming up. And, and and this speaks to everything that we've already been, or really hammers home the points that we've been making here about the Bulls having an opportunity now to, to really make this uh, this season a special one. So the next five or six games, so they obviously played the Hawks tonight, but they have the Hawks against uh, again on Wednesday night. Then they hit um, on Friday night, they head out to Indiana to play the Pacers again. Back to back against the um, against the Washington Wizards on Saturday evening before playing the Orlando Magic and the Wizards again next week. So, and if you want, if I want to add one there as well, uh, next or January 9th, Sunday at Dallas Mavericks. So you're playing basically five, six games there, which are all very winnable games. Even if Lonzo and Caruso aren't back, I mean Lonzo sort of just entered entered, entered protocols not long ago. We'll see how quickly the Bulls send Caruso back from that foot sprain that he has, but. Nonetheless, like the Bulls are 21 and 10. They have an opportunity here to win, you know, five of the next six, let's say at least, maybe four of the next six if we want to be a little bit more conservative. So talking more about what we were saying before about this being an opportunity for the Bulls, like the next two weeks is exactly this opportunity where you can continue to start separating yourself. You're at 11 games above 500 now. If you can push that to 15 or 16 games above 500 and set yourself up for a, a 55 win season, then the next couple of weeks really give you the uh, the ability or the foundation to do that. And then after that five or six games, you have two games against the um, in succession against the Nets and the Golden State Warriors. So I don't know, like this this next few weeks is going to really, uh, uh, maybe it's a bit, a bit reactionary for me to say this, but I think I think this next two weeks is going to be very uh, interesting at least, I'll put it that way, as to how it may shape or start to shape the Bulls season going forward or, you know, until the end of the, the, uh, the current season. I think if you're putting that in the kind of prism of the deadline and adding talent, um, obviously like you know, I would I would like to do that. I think they're on in a position to do that. But right now, there are so many teams that are also trying to compete that I worry that there won't be a ton of sellers. And the few sellers that are out there, the Pistons, the Kings, 
they have they're going to have a lot of options, a lot of uh, a lot of buyers knocking on their door because there just aren't that many guys that are going to be, you know, on the on the trade market. So um, I think it's really important that they continue to log some of these wins. I, the you, you got up up until the point on the schedule where they have Golden State, uh, Brooklyn, Golden State, Boston, uh, Memphis, Cleveland, Milwaukee. So that there's going to be like the the middle end of January is going to be tough, but I think. Yeah, they're in a position if they can continue to like grow in their roles, hopefully like by then everybody will be healthy. Everybody around the league will probably be healthy. It's like assuming uh, they have immunity built up from everybody getting COVID, we'll really start to see like what these teams look like. Other teams will sort of separate themselves from from the pack. Um, you know, fringe teams will turn into sellers and yeah, they'll they'll be able to sort of like start to have those conversations for real. Yeah, definitely. And I think like if, if for whatever reason they were to win five of the next six and they're, they're sitting at, you know, 25 and 10, 26 and 10, something like that, and they are really like separating themselves as a top two or three team in the East, then I don't know how the Bulls don't have those serious conversations. But nonetheless, uh, I mean, the last few episodes where we had been doing some predictions about how these next few games would go, I, I don't know if, if we should continue doing that, given how freaking hard it is to, uh, I guess, determine what is actually going to happen over these next few games, given that, I don't know, Woj or uh, Shams may tweet out some some dude has entered the, the health and safety protocols, which may completely swing a game one way or another. I'm assuming the Bulls won't have many more players entering health and safety protocols, given they have virtually their entire team go through that at some point. So I'm assuming they can't go back in or that COVID won't get them again so soon. But I guess you never know. But um, should we do predictions or should we just let it see how it plays out? Oh, uh, let's do them. Why not? Because really at this point, the only person who is in, the only like notable person who's in health and safety is Lonzo, who went in yesterday, the 26th. Um, so he'll probably be out for a while. Caruso has been injured with the foot sprain and I believe he will get reevaluated like in the next couple of days, I can look um, look that up while I'm talking here. Uh, but I mean, the Bulls are pretty much whole, and um, I mean, I think the Pacers—they just like ran through the the Pacers last game. Uh, the Hawks are obviously still missing a bunch of guys. Collins just went out uh, with uh, COVID protocols. Um, obviously, they have three of their their main guys with Bogdanovich. Capella and, and obviously Trey Young back. So, but I think um, I think they'll they'll handle them again um, and win on Wednesday, win on Friday, and I'm going to go for the clean sweep against uh, Washington. So a four win week if you include yesterday. No, today. Wow, what day is it? So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday games. I think they're going four and zero. Wow, 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 wow. Uh, look, I'm obviously hopeful that that is the case. I think. I think it's likely that they'll drop one of the paces of the Wizards game. Just I always say that when it's a back-to-back sort of situation, yeah. which in this case it will be, particularly you know during New Year's and New Year's Day, like that, that's potentially a loss in there. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say they beat the Hawks on Wednesday. I'm going to say that they beat the Pacers on New Year's Eve, but then lose to the Wizards on New Year's Day, um, and then before bouncing back and getting a win against the Mat- uh, the Orlando Magic next Monday. So that's my official prediction. Um, I'm going to say three and one. I'm going to be a little bit more conservative about it, but um, I'm obviously hoping I'm wrong and you are right. Doggable nation over here <laughs> predicting three and one. <laughs> such a pessimist. Such a pessimist. But um, look. 
nonetheless, uh, this team is fun to watch right now. Uh, and uh, look, just maybe we can close on this and, and again, reiterate some of the points we've made. But last four games, Vooch is starting to get it together. I think it's positive. The, it's less about, I guess, the way... Uh, I guess it's less about the numbers that he's making, but more the way he's gone about it. He just... He doesn't look like he's in his head like he was a few weeks ago, but nonetheless, over his last four games, 19.3 points per game, uh, almost 13 rebounds, almost four assists, shooting splits being 50, 44, and 67%. Um, you know, even 2.3 blocks at the moment. Like, I guess a lot of that's buoyed by the fact that he had four blocks against the Hawks, but it kind of feels like Vooch is getting back to normal, which is really important. And it just adds to what Zach and, and DeRozan are doing, who in this Hawks game tonight, um, uh, at Stats Williams had this stat uh, from the Bulls game against the Hawks in, in the first half tonight. Zach and DeMar both had 20-odd points and five assists each. They are the first pair of teammates to have 20 points and five assists in a half over the last 20, uh, 25 years. So in terms of what we were talking about before, about respecting the seasons that you're getting from DeMar and Levine and that this may not come again. I mean, when was the last time the Bulls had two guys like this that were capable of doing this? I'll tell you exactly when, because NBA history just tweeted it out. I was going to do you one better. DeMar and Zach. So I think DeMar, I closed at the box score, but DeMar had 35 and 10, Zach had 30 and 9. Yeah. Last time, a pair of Bulls teammates had 30 plus points, 9 plus assists in the same game was Michael and Scotty yeah. on March 31st, 1991. Yeah. And, and, and Before I was born. Yeah, dude. And look, this is, this is what I'm saying. never like, seen this in my lifetime. Yeah, 100%. Like, this is what we have to, we have to realize what is happening. We have to respect the, the level of seasons DeMar and Lavina are having. And it's been literally 30 odd years since we've had... Well, it's not the level of play of Scotty and, and 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 MJ, obviously, but in terms of having two perimeter players who have found as uh, you know a tandem that is working so effort- effortlessly at the moment, and with Vooch rounding into form, like I don't know, I just think it would be very unwise to just sit, sit on your hands and just not try to be as uh, active uh, and involved and trying to to maximize whatever this team may be, even if it is just going in for a one or two year window, seemingly like the Suns did when they trade for Chris Paul. I mean, you've got to go for it when you're getting this level of play. And we saw it against the Hawks tonight where Zach and, and, and DeMar did their thing, whether it was in the first half, whether it was over the, the course of the game and the numbers you referenced there. But you have to go for it. Like, And, and that, that is the key message to me after watching this Hawks game. Like, uh, It just reiterated everything that we have been speaking about. So I'm hoping as we move towards closer to the trade deadline and maybe some of these foolish teams like the Kings or... I don't know, whoever it may be, maybe they talk themselves out of a playoff push and maybe they try to be uh, sellers and, and the Bulls be buyers. Hopefully that can um, benefit what the Bulls do. And I don't know, maybe we can talk about, uh, we can, maybe we, we'll be talking in June about sneaking out a title or something like that. But maybe I'm getting a little bit ahead of, ahead of myself here, but um, hoping that the new year brings some some good stuff for us. But um, I guess next time we, we speak, well, it will be 2022, which is kind of crazy to say. I know. It's so like... Ever since the pandemic started, time has just gone by in very weird ways. Some in some capacities really quickly, in some feels like it's just been way longer than almost almost two years now, which is just wild. But here here's to a, a good twenty twenty two of Bulls wins. Yeah, for sure. And I mean time I mean time is maybe just a construct, at least it is for DeMar DeRozan who's having his career a career year at age thirty two, so who the hell knows what time is? Time means nothing at this point for any of us. But um, look, it, it, uh, in that respect, I suppose, time does make some sense because we will be back uh, next week 
uh, next Monday, I believe. So uh, we'll we will talk again in, in 2022, which is, again, crazy to say. Um, I'm looking forward to talking to you then, seeing how our predictions went, seeing how the Bulls, you know, maybe went to 4-0 or 3-1. We'll see who is right. But um, yeah, let's let's catch up next week, see how our Bulls have gone. And hopefully, you know, Lonzo and, and Caruso, Billy Donovan, hopefully they're all fine and healthy and they're back soon but nonetheless you can catch will on twitter at won't got leave and get me on twitter too at mk hoops you know where to find the podcast itunes app itunes spotify all that sort of stuff five star reviews all that, all that good all that good stuff i won't plug any more than that uh, i'll leave uh, the people in peace i won't end the year with um shameless plugs will but uh, nonetheless i appreciate everyone tuning in and supporting bulls hq through 2021 i certainly appreciate what you will for joining me here on bulls hq in 2021 and uh, i know the last five six whatever episodes you've been on has been very enjoyable for, for me hopefully that's been the case for you but um, i'm looking forward to uh 2022 for a lot of reasons but um you know not no no reason any less than um you continuing to be part, part of balls hq so uh thanks for being part of it mate it's been a blast to get back into this thing and um just huge shout out to everybody who's been listening um the feedback seems to be all good uh but obviously if there's anything you would want to hear um anything you like you don't like anything you want us to talk about that we haven't touched on always feel free to reach out and let us know um yeah i just appreciate all the the kind words that people have said since i got back into this thing and appreciate you mark for um letting me tag back in for sure mate it is uh it has been great and i'm declaring it right here right now you and i we are the demand de rosen zach levine bulls podcast is am i uh am i wrong in suggesting it probably um as it is mark (laughs) is it extremely back and forth on this episode (laughs) it is is very extremely arrogant me of of even saying this i feel ridiculous we're even putting it out there even comparing myself to zach levine demand de rosen but um Look, we're ending 2021. Let's let's end on a high, um, and and that could be interpreted in, in a number of ways. But uh, we'll we'll speak again next week, listeners. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being part of Bulls HQ in 2021. We'll catch you in 2022. Go Bulls, and uh, speak next week. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.